a very good evening to you. and a happy new year to you all. My name's Howard Kane. This is Sweet and Swing, swinging into 2024. What have we got? Well, I thought we might celebrate the world's greatest jazz band for a week or two. Used to be one of the old maestro's favourites. Oh, Gracie, not heard from her. May have a few tracks from her over the weeks ahead. And Shelton, maybe. Get us started though. Let's get going with a big noise.
Told you it's going to be a big noise from, of course, Winnetka. Where else? You know it. I used to have a friend who's that used to be one of his favourites, Big Noise, from Winnetka, I think. Uh, no longer with us, but uh, I was just thinking the other day, I thought that'd be a good way to get going. A nice big noise to start us off. Hope you haven't had too many big noises, other than perhaps on New Year's Eve, with all those party poppers going off. And if you're anything like my house, you're hoovering up little bits of streamer and those little wooden tops from the party poppers way into July quite easily, quite often until next year. But that maybe just says something about the lack of hoovering I do under sofas and cushions and such like on a regular basis. I hope we are all well as we swing into 2024. And thanks ever so much for listening as always. And uh, if you know a friend who's not tried Sweet and Swing before, let them know. Let them know you can listen every night. I would say every night, every Friday night. Not every night, but you know what I mean. Every Friday night at 9 o'clock. Or, of course, you can catch up on Listen Again or... The podcast is there. You can listen whenever you want, and you can go back if you like one and listen to a whole of other ones as well. Why not? Wonderful stuff. And, of course, we're always delighted to hear from anyone. And whilst it's not primarily a request show, we do like to indulge our listeners. If you've got anything you haven't heard for a long time, you'd like to hear in the sweet and swing category, of course. We don't normally do sort of Iggy Pop or the Sex Pistols here. But you know what the score is. So if you do anything along those lines, anything you like, whether it's Bing, whether it's Vera, whether it's something much more obscure, Guy Lombardo, you haven't heard a Fats Waller track for a long time, or some Geraldo, or you name it, Billy Cotton, whatever, drop me a line, Kane at manxradio.com, and that's Kane, C-A-I-N-E. Or, if you like, you can send me a card as people do, like John and occasionally Father Sean or an email, whatever the case may be. It doesn't really matter. Just be lovely to hear from you. Uh, the mail address, if you want to go that way, and why not? It might be slower, but it's more romantic. It's Howard at Sweet and Swing, Manx Radio, Broadcasting House, Douglas Head, Douglas in the Isle of Man, of course, and that postcode is I-M for Mother, 1-5-B for Bertie, W for William. Be lovely to hear from you. Drop me a line sometime. It'd be terrific. Big Noise from Winnetka, of course, written by the bass player Bob Haggett, along with his mate, the drummer Ray Baduke. Members, of course, of the Bob Crosby Orchestra, known as the Bobcats. What else would you call that? Bobcat. Great name, isn't it? First recorded in 1938 and is a sort of duet when they did it with uh, Haggett whistling. The version we heard there was, of course, by Roy. Naturally. He's got that great voice as well, hasn't he? Harry Roy, with his band, taking the vocals as well. Slightly different version. Didn't do the whistling in the same way. But if you go back, if you want to hear the original one, you'll get it with the Bobcats. Might play it sometime. I know we've got it lurking around in the cellar somewhere, so we might dig it out and see how we go. Some music from uh, Jimmy Van Heusen, perhaps. We had a little retrospective of him last year, didn't we, I think? Awesome, lovely music that he'd written over the years. How about this one? A friend of yours, Tommy Dorsey, with Stuart Foster. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
one nice rich plummy tones the baritone Stuart Foster I know I won't say I will say for the first time this year another of those names you just probably won't recall once called the greatest unsung singer yeah quite a long career albeit he died tragically young died at the age of 49 which is well pretty young once you get beyond 49 it might seem very old when you're 15 Certainly doesn't seem very old when you're in your 60s, does it? Never achieved anything more than a moderate level of fame in his time, even though he was... Well, you can tell how a great voice he had there. Worked with some of the biggest names in the business, though, and uh, was well-reviewed. He uh, started out in Ray Hutton's new all-male orchestra. That's an unusual one. I think mostly all-male, weren't they, in 1940? And appeared with various bands over the years in the 1944 Columbia film Ever Since Venus you can catch him remained with Hutton for a few years and then said he needed a rest uh, and temporarily disbanded the band in uh, 1944 he then went on to sing with Guy Lombardo where he had a chart success with Always got in the number 10 spot for a week in 1945 and Poor Little Rhode Island reached number 11 on the jukebox charts in May of the same year 1945 was also the year that he joined one Tommy Dorsey, March 1945. At the time Foster joined, Dorsey had been having a bit of trouble finding and keeping male vocalists to sing with him. He was a bit of a fiery character. He'd gone through a whole slew of singers since Skip Nelson had left in October the previous years. Some of them only stayed literally a few days. I think that probably tells you quite a lot. However, with Foster, Dorsey found some stability for a while and also proved very popular with the public during the time that he sang uh, with Dorsey. After disbanding, Dorsey kept Foster under contract for some years, even though he didn't have an orchestra. And then when the band leader put together a temporary outfit the following month for a four-week engagement, Foster returned to sing again and was a solo act at the Casino Gardens in Los Angeles, which... uh, Coincidentally, Dorsey owned and operated. Yes, he did all right, old Tommy Dorsey, realistically. Uh, after Dorsey, um, well, he was with Dorsey until 1948 and then left to begin a solo career and had great demand on the airwaves in the recording studio, had uh, several radio programmes, including The Bill Williams Show on WOR in 1949, Rayburn and Finch Show on CBS in 51, and Dave Garraway's NBC programme in 1952. And in 1951, he recorded several times with Winterhelder, uh, as well with Bob Dewey's orchestra on the Victor label. And sang for the Camden's low-priced Hits of 57 album, and from the 1950s onward worked as a staff vocalist at CBS. Went on the road for the last time, a couple of years after I was born, 1965, with Skitch Henderson's orchestra. But sadly, as I say, passed away very early in 1968, at the tender age of 1949. I don't have any details of why he died so young, but, well, just suffice to say, he uh, sadly had uh, packed in a lot. And, yeah, like so many of our people on the show, how many people remember him now? But, at the time, he was quite a star in his own way, in a modest way, and with that voice just never recognised as much as he could have been. 
It's the way life goes, I suppose, sometimes. Tal Farlow, another name not so much bandied around these days, but ask any jazz guitarist, as we've always said, and they'll almost certainly will have heard of him, and quite possibly quote him with his unique style. Lovely stuff indeed. Let's have him on like someone in love. Thank you. 
to the trees But they don't listen to me I talk to the stars But they never hear me The breeze hasn't time To stop and hear what I say I talk to them all in vain But suddenly my words reach someone else's ear Touch someone else's heart strings too I tell you my dream while you're listening to me, I suddenly see them come true. I can see us on an April night, sipping brandy underneath the stars, reading poems in the candlelight to the strumming of guitars. I will tell you all the books I've read And the way I met the king of France Then I'll send the servants off to bed And I'll ask you for a dance I tell you my dreams While you're listening to me I suddenly see them little twofer for you. Tal Farlow first off with Like Someone in Love. Oh, I forgot what it was for a moment. Just looking to see who was playing. Tal Farlow with guitar, of course. Eddie Costa on the piano. Vinnie Burke on a bass in 1956. And it almost sounds like there's a bit of brushwork going on there at times. That was just the wonderful percussive effects that Tal could get from the guitar as well, particularly when he was comping behind. Uh, an amazing player. And like I said, so influential I mean, people often think Charlie Christian and such like for the, a lot of electric jazz guitar players. And indeed, he was influential, but Tal for the sort of slightly more modern sound as well, definitely way up there. And then we segue straight into I Talk to the Trees, Anne Shelton, of course. And Anne, well, real name, Pat Sibley, and started out in January of 1936 when Sonny Farrow was leading Jack Hilton's band on a recording session while Hilton was away in Chicago. And for some reason, not documented, although I'm sure someone knows somewhere, he used a 12-year-old schoolgirl called Pat Sibley to sing on a record called Moanin' Minnie. Well, it wasn't... I haven't actually heard it, I don't think. I don't even know if I have it particularly, but it must be knocking around somewhere. It was, from all accounts, quite raucous and a little bit immature. But, a mere four years later, Pat turned into that wonderful voice you've just heard and also changed her name to Anne Shelton. Born in Dulwich, she was, and got her big break with Ambrose at the Mayfair Hotel and on Decker Records. Also worked with Jay Wilbur on Decker's low-priced label, Rex. And uh, during the early war years, a great peak period for a lot of her great songs recorded with both bands and lots of uh, evergreens 
Blueberry Hill, Fools Rush In, Green Eyes, I Know Why. And then went on to do lots of radio programmes as well, including Calling Malta, in which she became known as the Force's favourite, as opposed to Vera, of course. The Force's sweetheart was normally the way, wasn't it? It is Sweet to Swing, H with you through until the top of the hour. And as always, don't forget anything you would like to hear any time. Drop me a line, Howard Kane at manxradio.com, and that's C-A-I-N. And don't forget the all important E, otherwise it'll never get through to me. What are you going to do when there ain't no swing? I don't know, but we'll uh, ask Nakanella. Hotty bit bit poppity What you gonna do when there ain't no swing? How you gonna dance, how you gonna swing? Well, I'm telling you, you're gonna be blue when there ain't no swing. What you gonna do when you're feeling high and your favorite band plays a lullaby? Well, I'm telling you, you're gonna be blue when there ain't no swing. Come on and dance, get with them, while with them, hot, hot, hot as can be. Come on and dance, start swinging and singing the Zazzazz melody. What you gonna do when the night is young And you wanna swing and you can't get swung Well I'm telling you, you're gonna be blue when there ain't no swing Nat Ganella, of course, with his Georgians. What are you going to do when there ain't no swing? 
Nat himself taking the vocals there, no stranger to the Isle of Man, and also the old maestro. I remember him telling me on uh, several occasions over the years that it was Nat Ganella and his Georgians which first brought him to love jazz. He went to see him as a young lad with his father, my grandfather, who sadly I never got to know. And uh, that was it. He sort of saw them, and at the time they were, well, singing that sort of stuff, very popular. They all sort of had like sailor outfits on. Not quite too sure why, but that was the sort of thing that the Georgians quite often had these sort of sailor-type uniforms on. I'm probably missing some sort of link there somewhere along the line, but if you know, well, just let me know or remind me in any case. Uh, And either way, uh, a young old maestro, young Jim, thought, yes, this is the music for me, and started a lifetime's love and indeed part-time career as a semi-professional jazz musician himself for many, many years. Uh, Very popular here, played with a lot of uh, well-known men, including one coming up in this next band, in fact more than one, I think, because another band he became very fond of and went to see on several occasions was the world's greatest jazz band, set up, I think, by uh, Yank Lawson and Billy Butterfield and the rest of them, and, well, it was, that's how the way they build themselves, and the pretty good sound they made too. I don't know how many times he saw them, certainly two or three I would have thought over the years, and we're going to hear them now at Manchester's Free Trade Hall in 1971 with their take on Limehouse Blues. Thank you. 
Great applause for a great band, albeit that they were never that fond, I think an awful lot of them, of the actual title of the band, the world's greatest jazz band. I know Ralph Sutton in particular uh, grew very, very tired of it, and I don't think many of the leaders really liked it either. It was made up in the late 60s, 1968, from a group of musicians who played at the jazz parties organised during the 60s in Aspen, Colorado. And originally started out, it was set up by an entrepreneur called Dick Gibson. And it was he who chose the name for the band. Obviously thinking big, I dare say, thinking it would be a good marketing ploy, the world's greatest jazz band. Yank Lawson and Bob Haggart, who'd worked for years in the NBC studios, left their jobs to become joint leaders of the world's greatest jazz band, and Haggart did new arrangements to get them going. And they went on to tour and record for around 10 years, often featuring uh, ex-Bob Crosby band musicians, Bob Crosby and the Bobcats, who we heard at the start of the programme, to make a succession of recordings. Wasn't always plain sailing, though, and like a lot of jazz, made virtually no money, quite the opposite, lost quite a lot of money. Uh, Gibson originally wanted a permanent home for his uh, new-found band, World's Greatest Jazz Band in New York, after sort of the style of Eddie Condon's club, and he managed to get the group ensconced in the city's Roosevelt Grill, where Guy Lombardo had been for quite a few years. Guy did all right, he made quite a few bob in the restaurant business as well, of course. But then, well, bit of bad luck, the dip in the stock market... Uh, a lack of decent-sized audiences. That's all sounding vaguely familiar to a modern jazz audiences as well, I dare say, along with the dip in the stock market. Caused quite a bit of financial problems. It looked like the whole thing would collapse. And then along came a saviour, if you will. Barker Hickox. Great name, isn't it? Barker Hickox. Something of a philanthropist, a millionaire and a jazz lover. And he, in essence, bought the band from Dick Gibson, including... All debts. He's a brave lad, wasn't he? Gibson uh, said he'd stay on uh, if he paid him, but Hickok said, well, no thanks. <laughs> I've bought it. You can go. Can't say I blame him, really. And he went on to organise a cross-country tour of 20 concerts, and at the end of the tour, apparently took the whole band for a smack-up dinner. He said he lost $25,000, but it was great fun. <laughs> Well, if you can afford to blow $25,000 without uh, looking too worried, I suppose it is great fun. And it's reported that over the years the band never made the money back that Gibson and Hickox sunk into it. <laughs> love it, love it. Great little stories from Steve Vose there on some of the line notes. We'll hear more uh, next week about the world's greatest jazz band. Um, I think my memory was going... And I don't know that I actually saw them at the time. They were playing down in Torquay, I think it was, where we were on holiday. And I know the old maestro went along with my brother, three years older, and went and watched them. And I think it was Billy Butterfield who uh, came up to, I think Dad would always go and have a chat somewhere. And he had a word with Billy Butterfield, who uh, saw my brother, who was quite young, and said, hey, does the kid relate to the duck? <laughs> to which he informed, yes, the kid did relate to the duck. Duck Ellington, of course. Who else? How many are there? Freeman in there as well, but we'll come to that perhaps at a later date. In the meantime, we'll uh, go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Yes, where else would you get a segue from the world's greatest jazz band into Gracie Fields other than here on Sweet and Swing? We did a little retrospective on her a while back, but I thought a few Gracie songs might not go amiss into the new year, particularly this one. Would a Manx cat wag its tail? <laughs> Baby, oh 
owner, but Grandma's been listening for one. When I was a tiny mite of three, I was full of curiosity. Took me to the Isle of Man one day, when the little man cat passed our way to old Aunt Emily. I said, can you tell me, would a mouse cat wag its tail? If it has one, if it has one, would a female or a male want to wag one? If it had one, would it curl up like a snail or stick out like a nail? If it had one, if it had one, would a man cat wag its tail? Wonder how the man cat lost its tail. Was it in a dog fight or a jail? When the winter comes with frost and sleep, wonder what he curls round his cold feet. But when the weather's warm and flies begin to swarm, <coughs> oh, it's <so> cold. <coughs> Would a man start wagging tail? I think we can safely call that one a novelty number, can't we? Would a Manx cat wag its tail? 1929, I think that came out. Gracie Fields, of course. A young Gracie Fields at that, I dare say. The question is, I wonder how the Manx cat lost its tail, which she ponders there herself. And, uh, well, yes, several answers. I think the old postcards... When I was a kid, you don't see the old seaside postcards anymore, do they? They've all sort of uh, been banned or disappeared over the years. Some of them very saucy and some of them just with silly uh, silly things on them. One of them was the Manx cat. And the usual belief was either it had been run over by a TT rider or, of course, that it got trapped in the door of Noah's Ark as the cats ran on, ran on and the cat never got it back and the tail was chopped off and the cat lived to tell the tale, if you'll excuse the pun, but without a tail. Well, you know what I mean. I think the truth is slightly more boring and probably to do with biology and spina bifida and other various <laughs> deformities of the spine. But we won't dwell on that because we prefer the romantic ones in any case. More from our Gracie in the weeks to come, I think. 
Perhaps some more of the better ones would be do singing in the bathtub or Sally, perhaps, or uh, the biggest aspidista in the world. Everyone knows that one, I think, don't they? Don't they? Does anyone know this one? I always like this one. <laughs> story about Minnie the Moocher. She was a red-hot hoochie-coocher. She was the roughest, toughest rail. But Minnie had a heart as big as a hay whale. Ho-dee, ho-dee, ho. Ho-dee, ho-dee, ho. him though he was cocky he took her down to chinatown he showed her how to kick the gong around showed her how to kick the gong Unmistakable Cab Calloway. Still sounds very modern. I think if Cab Calloway was around today, he, he would still draw a good audience and I think has a sound which has moved very well through the years and still sounds very current. And you can imagine young audiences dancing to that and wailing away, hi and all the rest of it, wouldn't they? I think people would still love it. Um, all sorts of ideas behind the story of Minnie the Moocher. Um, According to an article published in Jet magazine in 1951, there was a real Minnie who had just died and was a familiar, a familiar figure in downtown 
Indianapolis. Uh, her name was Minnie Gayton, and she, uh, re- well, the suggestion is she got the nickname Moocher by regularly begging for food and then eating it from a baby buggy. Well, make your mind up on that. I thought it was something to do with drugs, but I dare say it might be lost a little bit in the mists of time. This one's not lost in the mists of time. It's Ambrose, very appropriately for the time of evening, having a night ride. Can't go wrong with a bit of Ambrose Night Ride, an absolute classic. Still sounding good as well. That today, I think, uh, stands the test of time pretty well. Been reinterpreted many times, but uh, perhaps never bettered than by the original by Ambrose and his orchestra. Night Ride, which is what we always do on a Friday evening here on Max Radio. Night Ride with Sweet and Swing, or of course a night ride between 9 and 10 any night of the week, as there's always great music of different genres. Monday, of course, time for brass with Ian Cartier. Tuesday, 
We're going folk-wise with J.B. John Barker. Wednesday sees Ernie at the Opera House. Thursday is a little light music with the wonderful Morris Powell. Friday, here we are. And then tomorrow evening, of course, I'm with Brother Chris for the best in modern and contemporary jazz in Jumping In. A reminder, by the way, all those lovely decorations, those uh, tinsel and glitter and the beebles and baubles and all need to come down. Here's a little reminder from Mel Torme. Baubles, bangles, beads. Mel Torme, Baubles, Bangles and Beads from our friends at Avid Four Classic Albums. Uh, thank you to them and all the others who help uh, put the music together for this programme and the old collection from the maestro himself, of course, which we dip into here up at the Black Satanic Mill on the Hill. I've managed to snaffle a few into the library. Well, I say a few, a few hundred, obviously, but don't tell anyone, whatever you do. I can never remember which one Twelfth Night is. I get very confused, frankly. I know it's round here somewhere. Um, whichever way I look at it, my declarations will be coming down tomorrow. I haven't had time this evening, so it'll be coming down tomorrow. Not a job I enjoy. Putting them up is joyous. Putting them down, I find rather tedious and depressing, and then you have to, you're in a hurry to do it, and you want to whack them away into the bag quite quickly, don't you? But you think, no, 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 you've got to try and stop, because, you know, before you know it, they'll be coming back out again, and if you haven't marked them properly, if you haven't taking the time to actually put the lights into a nice little loop so that they uh, can be untangled again. If, if you stuff them into a plastic bag, you know it's going to be a nightmare next year. Or if you just whack them willy-nilly and don't think about where you're putting them, you won't be able to find them in at all. Yeah. Or is that just me? I don't know. 
Whenever you take yours down, maybe they've been down for a week already. Maybe you never put them up. Maybe you're leaving them up until Easter. Have a great time. Have a happy and healthy new year. We will be back, of course, to keep you going every Friday evening, 9 o'clock here on Mike's Radio, throughout 2024, the 60th anniversary year, can you believe it, of Mike's Radio. And slightly worryingly, I've been here for nearly half of them. No, just don't go there. See you next week. Cheerio. Thank you.